Voyage. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Is the act of putting food in your mouth a way to avoid saying hard things? Does staying fat make you feel safer? How would you cope with losing your identity as a plus-sized person? In this second part of my conversation with Crystal, we leave no stone unturned and give you the whole emotional picture of how food can be your friend, what it's like to be fat, what it's like to lose weight, and how self-love will protect you from abandoning yourself. Just a heads up, a trigger warning for brief mentions of SA. Let's get started. So... I wanted to get in with you. Like I've got this opportunity to have this really qualified therapist who's had the surgery, who has a similar shared life experience as me to talk about some of the emotional aspects of this that I am afraid of and that I'm dealing with. Some of this I've had to start dealing with because Manjaro really limited how much I could eat and Mm -hmm. my ability to use food to give myself relief from anger, frustration, overwhelm, anxiety, that Mm -hmm. has been taken away from me. So I've been Mm -hmm. living without that now for six months and have tried. I've done some small episodes of that, but it really doesn't work. The medicine makes Mm -hmm. sugar, makes me feel nauseated. So I can't use sweets the way that I did. So I'm kind of living without that already. One of the major things that I have identified as a reason that I am obese. First of all, we know now obesity is a metabolic disease, primarily genetic. I want to say it's like 60% genetics, 25% life choices, lifestyle. And then there's also environmental factors and things like that. I would say for the, for my part, for the lifestyle part, I used sugar to relieve anxiety, frustration, overwhelm. I Mm -hmm. jokingly would say that, you know, people look at me, I have a doctorate. I'm a CEO of a nonprofit. I've got four really great children that are adults now and or three of them are and they're doing well. And I have kind of done a lot with my life. I've accomplished a lot. And people say, wow, you're so amazing. I don't know how you went back to school and did that. You have four kids, blah, blah. And I jokingly would say like, well, this is all brought to you by Hagen Dazs. <laughs> you know, thank you, Ben yeah. and Jerry, because Ben mm-hmm. and Jerry really got me that doctorate. Because mm-hmm. when I am overwhelmed, frustrated, feel unheard, unimportant, need to stuff any feelings that other people can't deal with, ice cream or donuts would really rectify that for me. That's how I coped. And I've now been living six months without that. And my experience of that has been in those moments where life gets to be painful emotionally, Mm -hmm. where I Mm -hmm. just feel anxiety that makes me want to run and crawl in a hole. Or like I used to say, like, go to sleep and never wake up. Not that Mm -hmm. I would actively want to end my life, but that I just didn't want to do it anymore. Right. In that moment, candy, ice cream, any kind of sugar would, would really 
release enough of the feel-good chemicals to get me through it. Mm-hmm. And now when I have those moments, I just have to endure them because I refuse. I work in the addiction field. I'm not going to pick up alcohol. I'm not going to mm-hmm. pick up cigarettes or any of those things that I'm going to then have to battle later on. Learning to sit and feel uncomfortable feelings has been one of the greatest lessons in this for me. Like yes. how joy can you cope with the anxiety of not knowing what your friend is thinking because she won't talk to you right now, or Mm. you had a little spat with your partner and things feel out of control right now. And you don't know if this is going to lead to the end of the relationship. And you just have to be uncomfortable with that for, for a little while. I always think I wanted immediate relief from negative feelings. When I was growing up, there was a lot going on in my household and whether it was the truth or just my little kid perception, my perception was that there was no space for my emotional needs. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like I needed to contain them within myself, that I couldn't be a burden. Whatever my emotional needs were, were met with like, suck it up. And that's a lot of Gen X people relate to this. And so Mm -hmm. what I did to suck it up was eat. Yeah. Same, same. My story is the same as far as that goes with childhood. Yeah. I live in a really small town and my, it's just my husband and I here at home. And when I would find myself binge eating, I realized I was actually lonely. I realized it was a connection for me. Once I was able to pinpoint that with the help of my therapist, it kind of coincided right about the time I had my surgery, but I started to force myself to make more connections, go have lunch with that therapist in the other town, spend time with some friends, deepen some connections. Food then shifted from my best friend and best companion to a thing that I do to stay alive. I will say too, that I do think the surgery itself helped that. I think that something changed physiologically for me. I'm no doubt a food addict, a thousand percent a sugar addict. So I've actually, since my surgery, kept white sugar, refined sugar completely out of my diet. It makes my anxiety worse. It makes me feel bad. It makes my sleep worse and is so highly addictive for me. The role that food always played for me was companion. It was solace. It was best friend. It was comfort, right? I had kind of the same growing up that you did. I really just had to kind of deal uh, with things and um, not be a more of a burden. And you know what I always say, you know, growing up a, a good Christian girl that I grew up with, like you didn't sleep around and you didn't drink and you didn't smoke, but you have to eat. And so maybe it was an like a little way to cope. Yeah. Little Debbie snacks, like maybe you eat two, maybe you eat six, you know, like who cares? Because Whatever it was something that that's you right into the kitchen and get a little extra scoop of ice cream uh-huh. after everyone's gone to bed. And I'm talking like, I remember doing this as early as fourth grade. I had to be good. I had to get good grades. I had to do all the expectations for everyone else. That's just the way that I was. That's in yes. my nature. And that's how I cope with stress. I think for a long time, I blamed my mom, but I don't think it was her fault. She didn't expect me to be perfect, but that's how I coped with things. That's how I tried to get some control over Mm -hmm. my home and what was going on with the adults in my life and in Mm -hmm. in my life in general, which is stressful and hard. I mean, life is Absolutely. But I think since we have to eat and food is accessible and it's cheap, especially the junk food is cheap, you know, as I became an adult, it, it really became, I felt like addict behavior, like eating food, hiding the wrappers, throwing them away at the gas station. So I didn't throw them away at home, you know, stuff like that. It felt out of control. And so now I think one of the best 
feelings that I feel now, even though I'm, I've still got about 50 pounds to go to get to where I want to be ultimately, is I feel so much more calm about food and I feel so much more in control. And I don't know if that's just by taking away that addictive property of sugar for me, or if it's because I've, like you said, begun to feel the feels sitting in that loneliness or that lack of connection when I feel it or that anxiety. I think I was anxious from the womb. I've been an anxious person my entire life. So it was always, always a a factor. It physiologically relieves the anxiety. It's not just our minds. It's literally the chemicals get released to, to relieve you. And when I first started this honest with myself bit, there's a TikTok that I made where I was just furious and crying. And I said, my sons were both driving me crazy. And I ate two candy bars and I felt better. I could handle the conversation that I needed to have with them after eating two candy bars. Right. And that made me so angry. And also I was in this moment of being completely honest with myself about the experience of eating sugar. What did Mm -hmm. that do for me? I was so in tune with myself for the first time that I felt the physical relief wash over my body. I'm not a big drinker, but you know how you feel after maybe a glass and a half of wine or two glasses Mm. where you just like relax and you feel warm. It's like kind of loose. That is how I felt after two candy bars, like Mm. biologically, physically, not Mm -hmm. just in my mind, Mm -hmm. but I felt the the heart rate slow down, the muscles relax. What am I supposed to do? Mm. I'm super mom, right? I'm parenting these children and doing this all by myself. And I'm a leader at work and a good friend to people and all of these roles that we have to just knock it out of the park all day long. And two candy bars really helped me get through this difficult situation. It's funny, two candy bars for me would make me start thinking about getting more candy bars. Like it is actually a direct how can I get more of this? When I let any of it into my system, it is almost like I'm possessed by something and I have to have more. Mine Mm -hmm. was much more of like a direct coping. Like Mm -hmm. I felt a panic. If there's no sugar in my house, no sugar at my office, no access to sweets, I would feel some anxiety and panic. Like what if I need it? So we have a Krispy Kreme that's kind of far away from my house. Thank goodness. It's a good 20. Uh-huh. So I never would go over there just to get the donuts. But God help me if I passed the Krispy Kreme, I had mm-hmm. to have them. And mm-hmm. especially if that red light was on. And right. I would buy a dozen and a half donuts or two and a half dozen, depending on how many people were at my house, how many kids were at my house who were going to want donuts. I would buy the two dozen and then I would buy four to six extra and eat those in the car on the way home. Oh, yeah. And I would stop at a trash can or a dumpster and throw away that extra box so that nobody would know that I had already had four to Mm -hmm. six donuts, however many I could eat. Mm -hmm. And if I needed to dip into the box, I could, but then they would only know that I had one or two. I would have little Debbie snacks. There was one point, not too recently, but like I went through a little Debbie phase where there was always some in my desk and I felt panicky if they weren't there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So definitely sugar makes you want more sugar. I do know that that's something that I've, I've been really successful with in the past. And then I let it slip back in. And then I was in the pit again. That's what I call it. I'm in the pit. And I just know that I cannot go there again. Like I can't, I can't, I can't go there again. It would be a massive abandonment of myself to, to let myself get back in the pit. 
That is 100% how I feel. I love myself too much Mm -hmm. ever. And because Crystal, when we are eating little Debbie cakes that we're hiding from our families, when we're cramming as many donuts as we can get into our faces before we reach home so that no one will know, we are denying our own selves, denying our needs ignoring ourselves and not loving ourselves. I was a hundred percent neglecting myself, abandoning myself and hurting myself for a temporary relief. Instead of saying, what are you feeling right now? What are your needs right now? What can I do to help you feel better? Joy, what Mm -hmm. do you need? I was Mm -hmm. absolutely turning my back on myself in favor of the quick fix of sugar because it was too painful to Mm -hmm. ask the people in my life for what I needed Mm -hmm. and have them Mm -hmm. not deliver. Absolutely. Think about the physical act of putting something in your mouth and swallowing it. Like you're eating those Krispy Kremes, right? To me, it's what conversation are you not having? What are you not allowing to come out of your mouth? If I stuff it full of donuts, then I don't have to have the conversation with my parents or my friends or my kids or my husband that I need to have and I want to have to get closer. But it's just like you said, it's just that I'm completely abandoning this need that I have in the moment or kicking the can down the road. Like, oh, I'll deal with that later. But right now, for now, we're going to eat six donuts, right? So now I've had to have a lot of harder conversations and it sucks. 745, I'm definitely in that midlife. Like, what's my legacy going to be? I think about it all the time. I do not want my legacy to be anything else but being the absolute best wife, mom, stepmom, therapist, friend that I can be, the most honest one that I can be, the most kind one that I can be, the, the most present that I can be. Food and obesity was causing me to not be present. I wasn't even there. And I want to be present in my life from, from this day till, till my last. Yeah, this actually, it's funny because I spent today filming and editing a video about being in the present moment, about the the contrast between worrying about the future, perseverating on past mistakes or, or grievances versus being in the present moment. And when you avoid the present moment, you are robbing yourself of joy. For me, food 100% kept me out of the present moment because the present moment was painful. Like yep. people would be like, oh, meditate. And I would, I'm thinking like, absolutely not quiet Mm -hmm. stillness in the present moment. Like nothing sounds worse than that to me at all because I have no control, you know, like I need to plan the future or perseverate, beat myself up about the past. That's a much more comfortable zone, right? Mm -hmm. Being present and calm and quiet and listening to myself and being in tune with myself was like a fate worse than death. I actually not that long ago was invited and went to a two and a half hour group meditation. Like we meditated for two and a half hours straight. That's incredible. It was incredible. I could not believe that I did it. I was so proud of myself. It seems like a small thing, but for me, this was a major life win. Like (laughs) I can do it. I can be still and survive. Before it was so easy to abandon myself because I didn't like myself. And it was like, why would you want to stay with someone that you don't like? Why would you want to stay present with yourself if you constantly you're just telling yourself how horrible you are, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to be present and not abandon yourself requires self-love and self-worth, right? Because you don't want to hang out with someone and, and, and stay with someone and feel all the messy feelings with someone if you fundamentally don't like that person, Mm -hmm. right? But you want to, 
you know, now, even though when I am feeling the feelings and I'm so mad or I'm so sad or I'm, and I'm not dulling it with a bunch of food, it's like, I deserve that. I want to stay with my friend and that's me. You know, that's a little bit meta, but it's, oh, I love it. You're it's making me so, cry. <laughs> it's so important to be able to truly love the person you are. So you don't constantly want to abandon them. Oh, you just like hit me right in my heart and made me feel so proud of myself. You should be. I spent my life being ashamed of so many parts of my personality. I'm a mm -hmm. bold person, you know, I've got mm -hmm. a lot of opinions and I'm willing to say them. And then I would beat myself up for it. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I cannot believe you told them that you want to write a book or I can't believe you try to force everyone to go to the hotel you want to go to, you know, like I would mm -hmm. really beat myself up and frame things in the worst possible way, would call myself bossy, that I'm too much for people. I didn't like myself. It's funny that you're saying that hit me so hard because in all of my self-love content, in my self-love journey, I haven't focused much on liking myself. I focus mm. on loving myself, but mm -hmm. there's a difference. And I really realize that I am liking myself and I'm proud of who I am. And mm -hmm. sure, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but thank God I have very good friends that love me for who I am. Yes. <laughs> and and yes. I can love myself for who I am too. I'm bright mm -hmm. and beautiful and worthy of love. Enjoying my own company and liking myself is a pretty new experience. It's so, yeah. you made me bust into tears over that. <laughs> and to me, I kind of mourn all the years I didn't get that. What I have to tell myself all the time is, okay, Joy, you are going to ask for what you need because you're not mm -hmm. going to abandon yourself. You are going to express your needs to this person or whatever the situation mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And if they don't react well to it, you can trust yourself to handle it then. I trust myself to get myself through whatever happens as long as I'm true to me. Mm -hmm. I can handle the consequences and ride the wave. Do whatever yeah. it takes after that. And the same thing goes for embarking on this weight loss journey. Because like I had said, I swore off weight loss because mm -hmm. I had lost 80 pounds and gained it all back. And I said, I will never do this to myself again. But this time I'm saying, I trust myself that mm -hmm. I will never put myself back in this situation. And if something happens where I start to backslide or something goes wrong, I trust myself to save me. And the next big thing I think is about protection. I was sexually abused as a child. I was sexually assaulted in ninth grade. I was 14 years old. I was publicly sexually assaulted by mm. a group of boys my age. And then in adulthood, I was sexually assaulted in a couple of different ways, actually. So I feel like being obese provided a false sense of security. Like mm. if I'm fat, I just will have less people who want me, less people mm -hmm. who see me, because as we know, being obese makes us invisible. And mm -hmm. I just felt like it helps me maintain that level of protection. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. obviously, I want to say like, we know mm -hmm. sexual assault has nothing to do with sexual attraction. And also plenty, plenty of people are sexually attracted to fat women. I've found them. I've had great partnerships and romance sure. in life. So it, I want to say that these things are not logical and not true. So what am I going to do, Crystal? Like therapy, you got five minutes to tell me how to fix that because that's something I don't think I've addressed yet. One of the things that I 
work with people who come to me for therapy who have anxiety is you can make yourself safe. You are intelligent. You are resourceful. You are witty. You're quick. You are skilled. Anxiety tells us that we cannot make ourselves safe. This person is going to be mean to me and then I'll just die. When you are able to fully grasp and accept no matter what, no matter what this number on the scale says, no matter who's around me, I can make myself safe. That fear will go away. I am going to be okay because I am controlling what I can control. In every area of life, there are things that are outside our scope of control and things that are inside of our scope of control. We, we look at the whole picture and we say, what of this situation is mine to control? I'm controlling the things I can control. I know just from talking to you today that because you can trust yourself, because you have a good head on your shoulders, you're intelligent and you're resourceful, that you will put yourself in situations where you can make yourself safe. You probably couldn't at 14. I know you couldn't when you were a child, right? But you are different today. Even though you're carrying those iterations of you inside, and there is a little bit of a trigger from that, you can make yourself safe today in, in all the ways that are in your sphere of control. I have no doubt that if you choose to have this surgery, the joy that is on the other side of it, and I mean that in both ways, the you and the happiness, is going to be powerful, a badass, happy, and secure, and peaceful, and safe. I have to trust myself. That's it. And you can. You can trust yourself. You are trustworthy. Yeah. The next thing that I'm sort of afraid of, or I'm not sure I'm prepared for, is the loss of my identity as a fat person. I have worked really hard to embrace my curviness, my mm -hmm. big old booty, my hips, my belly. Like I embrace those things. I started to put on weight around 19. And by the time I had children, I was fully like in the obese category. So really my whole life, I have felt the identity of a fat person. So how am I going to live without that? I think we constantly evolve. So before you were a mother, you didn't identify as a mother. You identify as a single person, then became mother, you started identifying as a mother. And then when you were no longer partnered, you started identifying as a single person and you had never done that before. It's just a constant evolution. It worked for you. It met a need. It served a purpose for you to identify in those ways before. But on the other side of this, you will simply just be joy. You know, like you've been joy the whole time, but it will just be yet another, it's like you know, 2.0, 3.0, you'll be like joy 4.0. You know what this I mean? This is like joy 10.0. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. But then when you're, you know, you're 48. So when you're 55, you might be joy 11.0 because you cut your hair and dyed it blonde. But the thing is, is that we, we honor that part, what it did for us and the needs it met for us. I think when you were doing that, I, I'm just speculating, but it helped you feel part of a community. It helped you feel better about yourself, but your value is not in it. So I love that. So in order to let go of my identity, because I think when I lost the 80 pounds at the 80 pound mark, some panic set in because I had gotten down into a size 14 was like regular size clothing. I really felt a sense of panic. Like, mm -hmm. oh no. And I literally like set about gaining the weight back as quickly as I possibly could. It was mm -hmm. a sense of like, I cannot live like this. But I think this whole conversation is helping so much because what I need to remember is that no matter what comes along, I trust myself. 
I'm going to lead with self-love. I like myself and I trust myself to take care of me first. Mm -hmm. And yes. that means that I'm a survivor. I'm, I can handle it. I'm not going to hurt myself or throw myself under the bus. I'm not going to ever abandon myself again. Mm -hmm. And that is where I guess the answer lies to all of this. It is. And all of these things were false. I really wasn't any safer at 300 pounds. In fact, when I was being honest with myself and really did the research about the health risks of obesity, your yes. risk of death from any cause is higher <laughs> just because of obesity. So like, mm -hmm. was I really safer in the world? Right. Maybe safer mm -hmm. from a 125 pound kidnapper, but past that, I mean, what was my risk of that really? You know, like who's trying to kidnap me? Your point that really this is an anxiety conversation and not an actual safety conversation. Mm -hmm. It's more like mm -hmm. I can trust myself to manage the anxiety that's about my safety because of what I've been through. I've got anxiety mm -hmm. about my safety. I don't right. feel safe in the world, but I can manage that safety anxiety and I can control mm -hmm. the factors that I can and be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to mm -hmm. combust spontaneously out of anxiety about my safety. Absolutely. Living in New Orleans, food is a major part of our culture, like huge. I mean, everything revolves around food and I am a good cook. I had my Alabama country grandma who wrote cookbooks. My grandma Joyce taught me that soul food, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, pot roast, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I had my New Orleans grandma who knew how to make a big pot of gumbo, jambalaya, red beans for the whole family. And I know how to make all that stuff. The food is so good. And yeah. I don't want to have diet food. As far as the food goes, I understand wanting to be a part of the culture and food is a catalyst for connection for us. I mean, birthday cake, come on. Let's, I mean, it's we're together, we're going to eat this thing. So some people can, after surgery, just have three bites, right? Like just, just, ha just have a little bit. I think what you have to f just shift the focus from is, Hey, we're having everybody over on Friday night. We're going to have a big, you know, crawfish boil and it's going to be this huge thing. Be there, be present, connect, talk to people, get your little salad plate, fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. Enjoy that, savor it, but you don't have to be deprived. You don't have to be left out. Let food be a catalyst for connection. Don't let food be the connection. Enjoy the people you're with. Be present instead of it just being about how much did I have? How much can I eat? Or, or what can I not eat now? When I think about being at birthday parties, especially in certain groups. Now, if I'm with people that I really love and really love me and I can really be myself, it's one thing, especially if it's a small mm -hmm. group. But when mm -hmm. I think about large family gatherings, mm -hmm. literally the anxiety I would be having about when could I have dessert? When are they going <laughs> to pull out the food? When is the dessert mm -hmm. coming? Because it was my way to put a Band-Aid on the shame that I felt just in conversations with people like, criticizing myself for what I might say. What are they thinking mm -hmm. about me? Um, I don't fit right. in here. I can't believe I said that. And food would just turn all of that off. Literally, like you're talking about huge family gatherings that are so joyful and happy and like the food doesn't have to be the thing. But actually for me, food was the treatment yeah. that I required in <laughs> right. order to attend these big family gatherings. Cause I've always felt like an outsider in my own but family. But is, is that anxiety? And is that also the conversations you're not willing to have? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Because if you were and you are able to show up, honestly, you could say, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I don't really want to be here. I don't even know why I am here. Right. But acknowledging that was so painful. And I have kind of gotten there where I have to be like, 
you know, acknowledging that I don't feel totally at home with my extended family is painful. It is but painful. now I'm like, I love them and I know they love me, but either due to my anxiety or the family dynamics or whatever the reason is, I'm going to honor my own feelings that I don't feel totally at home there. So I'm going to minimize the time that I'm there. If it's a matter of there's broken relationships that I need to have difficult conversations around, then I need to have those. Mm-hmm. In my case, I don't think it's that at all. I think mm-hmm. I just think it's like social anxiety right. and it's not my family's fault. They're wonderful people. And I think they love me very much, but I have always felt anxious in the big group. And in fact, sure. any party in any large group, I feel anxious. I feel self-conscious and mm-hmm. food was my band-aid. That's what right. allowed me as an introvert to function as an extrovert. If you're you serving dessert at the party, I can come, especially if yeah. I can like get away with eating more of it than I should. And maybe people not noticing because I'm making sure that I'm not eating this two, second piece of cake in front of the same people who saw me eat the first one. Right. So now I'm honoring myself. Now yes. my rule is if I'm not going to be changing the baby's diaper, I don't go to the baby shower. I'm going to Amazon you a gift. <laughs> that's a great rule that's a great rule but I also think the more that you like yourself the less you care if they do Mm. oh yes you know so if you if you're at the party and you're feeling good and you're feeling and you're just in your present and you're in your body and someone else has a problem with you screw them like that's their problem you know and none of my business what they're thinking yes none of my business yes Yes. So unapologetically present. Oh, unapologetically present and not needing the cake to get me through the birthday party. Yes. Yes. Well, I think this has been an amazing conversation. I hope that this conversation helps people explore their own emotional underpinnings of their relationship with their body and with food and with solutions, if they're seeking them to obesity, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you being here with me and sharing in this journey. And the big takeaway for me is I'm going to lean into trusting myself. This is where the self-love comes in handy. And I think that if I had had surgery even a year ago, I wouldn't be in this place and I might not have been successful, but I'm ready. I'm ready to be successful and to enjoy all of the results. You're going to do great. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much. You're Please welcome. Stay in touch, Crystal. Next time on the conclusion of season one of The Easy Way Out, we will hear from someone who knows me better than anyone else, my best friend, who is also a therapist. She spills the tea on whether I can trust myself not to regain the weight, how my weight and refusal to talk about it has impacted our friendship, and her true feelings about whether I should have surgery. She puts all the cards on the table, and we wrap up Season 1 with a decision and a look into the future. The Easy Way Out is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by me, Dr. Joy Bracey, Nat Mundell, and Dan Benamore. Samantha Barofaldi is our technical producer and editor. Our theme music is by Durlis Gonzalez. You can find my self-love and weight loss content on social media at Dr. Joy Bracey at D-R-J-O-Y-B-R-A-C-E-Y. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can support it by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, by subscribing for future episodes, and by sharing with your friends. 
I'm not a medical doctor and nothing in this podcast should be taken as medical advice or as mental health counseling or advice. These are my personal experiences and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Voyage Media. Thank you for listening.